Dotnet Rocks episode 745 with guest Jason Kazor. Recorded live Thursday, February 23rd, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard and we're here again as we are twice a week for your edutainment pleasure. Edumacation? Edumacation. <laughs> well, and it's not just twice a week. There's also the tablet show. That's right. And DNR TV and Hansel Minutes and Run As Radio. Yeah, we get around. We just can't stop. Well, it's our problem. Having a good time doing it as well. And if you haven't checked out the tablet show yet, what are you waiting for? Really? Yeah, it's over at thetabletshow.com. And just yesterday, we published a show about location with uh, Nick Landry. Next week's show is about enterprise mobility, talking to Chris Love. That's right. And if you're an acoustic guitar player, go to acousticaddicts.com. That's all. Not going to waste your time if you're not. Don't worry, I'm going to bring it up again for you. But first, let's know a framework. Let's know a framework. <laughs> I think I think I'm going to change the name of this bit to uh, Carl's Lucky Pearl of the Day or something like that. I don't know. Nice. Well, but- Because there's so much to know and there's so much out there that we'd like to just give a quick prop to. And it's, But just don't think, change the theme song. I think the theme song is No, perfect. theme song stays. Okay. All right. So uh, because SharePoint is our topic today, I went looking in the Googles. Mm-hmm. And the Bings and the for bings. good blog posts uh, about SharePoint that are new and fresh and well attended. So high up in the list was Jacob Morgan's blog, which you can get to at um, uh, jmorganmarketing.com. Or if you go to tinyurl slash spbadrap, because the title is Why SharePoint is So Popular Yet Gets Such a Bad Rap. Ah, how appropriate. Isn't this interesting? So, um, so he, he, he doesn't chain, you know, he doesn't pick sides. He's not throwing stones. He talks about the major reasons why companies go with SharePoint. And then he talks about, um, why it gets a bad rap. And mostly it's because of, uh, misplaced expectations. Here's how he ends his blog post. Moral of the story is that organizations need to do more when it comes to making sure that they are deploying the right tool for their employees. SharePoint isn't necessarily a bad platform, but it's certainly not the collaboration solution. Make sure to do your homework before deploying tools. Nice. You know, there's this great curve uh, uh, from Gartner that talks about how a new technology sort of peaks at this really high, you know, overestimating its potential, it's the solution for everything, and then it plunges down in this sort of trough of disappointment. The trough of reality. Yeah, and then it <laughs> comes back up again as sort of a more reasonable level of this is how things actually work. I just worry that SharePoint never crawled out of that trough. Yeah, well, you know, the the informed people know what it does well and what it doesn't do well, and uh, the rest of them, you know, are in for a surprise. So right. That's all. So what you know? What's the joke that we always say, Richard? I had a problem, so I used SharePoint. Now I have two problems. <laughs> <laughs> so on Don Box's bl- uh, Facebook the other day, I saw a you know a graphic that said, "I had a problem, so I used Java, and now I have a problem factory." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I miss him. We need uh, him no, back. We on need the show. him back just to have some fun. Yep, just to have some fun. All right, Richard, who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off of show 743, which was Derek Bailey's show on JavaScript frameworks. Remember we talked about Backbone JS and uh, all that good stuff. And this comment is from Toby Taylor, who says, Hi, Carl and Richard. Greetings from Edmonton, Canada. How appropriate. Just thought I would share a cool moment that occurred at my home yesterday. I was sitting on my living room couch with my laptop and was enjoying the show. I glanced over at my husband, who is a musician, who was sitting with his laptop, and I laughed as soon as I noticed that he was kicking back and watching The Acoustic Addicts. That's so funny. He came across it from a friend's tweet. We are both geeking out in our own way. It's really scary that it, that I was infiltrating their home in two different ways from two different directions at exactly. the same time. 
Uh, thanks for the show. It is a truly great developer resources. I'm planning on going to Dev Teach in Vancouver this May, and I hope we'll get a chance to meet. Take care. That's so much fun. Dev Teach in Vancouver, my friend. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Toby, thanks so much for your uh, your comment. It was very timely. I know Carl's really excited about Acoustic Addicts. Is getting a lot of uh, tweeting and uh, posting all over the place. Yeah, a lot uh, of great we're, comments. So we're we had, branching out, aren't we? Yeah, we had 3,000 uh, YouTube views in five, six days. So I'm going to send you a mug. And if you'd like a mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. And before we introduce Jason, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online, and they have over 200 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts such as those you hear on the show. They release 8 to 10 new courses every month and offer a 10-day free trial, giving you 200 minutes of access for 10, for 10 days to their vast library. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including coverage of SharePoint 2007 and 2010, as well as Pivot Viewer and other related technologies. Try Pluralsight today. Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce Jason Kazor. Jason is a Microsoft SharePoint MVP and an independent consultant specializing in SharePoint and .NET technologies, architecture, design, governance, operations and training, as well as custom solutions and applications. He has been providing technical solutions to business problems for 20 years, covering nearly all industry sectors. Formerly a premier field engineer and rapid response engineer for Microsoft Canada, he provided SharePoint and .NET expertise worldwide. While at Microsoft, he was involved in several unique initiatives, including Bad Guy Patrol and the Child Exploitation Tracking System. They sound like great stories. He's always been involved in user group and community-based initiatives, most recently a co-founder of the Calgary SharePoint user group, CalSpug. Jason is available to speak at conferences and user groups worldwide. For fun, he does the typical old-school, geeky, nerdy activities and is trying to convince his kids that programming is cool. Welcome, Jason Kazor. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Kazor with a K and silent C. That's right. Just like you'd think it would be spelled. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Although that's not the official way to pronounce it, but that's how I roll. Oh, what is the official way to pronounce it? I believe it is Kachor. Kachor. Yes. Gesundheit. Thank you. You're welcome. Nice. Yeah. Jason used to live in Vancouver. No we kidding. Years ago. Were you guys neighbors? No. No. But we were fellow um, Dev Day speakers. Fellow Vancouverians? Yes. Yeah. Way back. Remember back in Dev Days? The Dev Days days? Yeah, that's what being an RD was all about. Once upon a time, yes. Yeah. Yes, Dev Days 99. It was great fun. SharePoint is a big topic, Jason. What was your what was your specialty in SharePoint? Well, actually, my specialty was around solutions and uh, custom applications development within SharePoint. So um, I came actually at SharePoint from the uh, .NET architecture and development um, aspect. Uh-huh. I was thrown into SharePoint kicking and screaming and spent the first six months saying, why Why do I have to do it this way? I don't like it. This is not the way I would do it if I was doing it myself. And um, ultimately, though, in the end, I kind of um, drank the Kool-Aid. All right. And, uh, you know, now I'm a, a SharePoint addict. I love it. And ultimately, it's because of one of my sort of controversial statements. And sometimes people like to hear it, but sometimes people don't, especially our friends at Microsoft. Okay, what is it? SharePoint is not actually for developers. Oh, yeah, it's true. What are you talking about? It's a productivity tool. Yeah. It's for end users, power users, business analysts. Now, developers can definitely help them, but... You know, it's ultimately, it, it's, it's a great platform, but you have to understand that it's also a product and it has its own quirks, foibles and ways of doing things. And for most developers, at least, um, especially, you know, myself and a lot of people I work with over the years, you know, training and mentoring, you know, ASP.net and .NET developers to get them into SharePoint. It's one of the things that they constantly butt their heads against is that they're used to doing things and rolling with a certain framework and being in full control of the stack that they're delivering. With SharePoint, you've kind of got to let go. You're not in full control of the stack. You know, you never really were, right? If you were, even if you're working in ASP.net, the pipeline owns certain things and that's just how it is. You learn to work within it. I think, you know, you hit on the big issue here, which is you're living in a different pipeline 
play along. Correct. Exactly. Um, and, and it's not ultimately that hard. There's plenty of guidance. Microsoft offers excellent guidance, um, you know, off of MSDN and TechNet. It's a matter of just simply following the best practices that are out there and adhering to the guidance and the design patterns that are there. But is the best practice building web parts, really? No. So actually, <laughs> no, I, uh, no, actually, this is where I like to say no soup for you. Uh, <laughs> is that an anti-pattern? Would we go so far as to say that? That is correct, in my opinion. Um, now, I will say that, obviously, these opinions are not subject to perhaps uh, the marketing of a certain company. But um, my opinion is that there are already plenty of web parts out of the box that come with SharePoint. Use and leverage them to the fullest capabilities. But ultimately, if you're building web parts, my opinion is that you should also be selling web parts. Ah, it's okay. Special, so it's just a like controls. Activity. Exactly. It's a control. It's a, it's a specialist activity. There's plenty of web parts that are already there that you can leverage that, you know, you can use. Now, admittedly, it does mean you having to go down to the XSLT and, and maybe even, you know, to JavaScript and HTML5 and CSS and Canvas and all those other lovely things. But, um, you know, I always ask developers and, and I mean, you know, there's lots of developers at all levels, but I say, so if you're building a web part, how good are your um, multi-threading and asynchronous programming skills? Because they've got to be top-notch. Because if that web part is not fully multi-threaded or asynchronous, when it renders, it will block all the other web parts on the page, and the page will simply sit there until they're all finished rendering. Um, how good is your caching strategies, right? And most corporate developers are, you know, they're strapped for time. They're not specializing in multi-threading. They're specializing in solving business problems. Yeah, that's that's true, and and I think the bigger issue here is that understanding how SharePoint's doing things under the hood is confusing and generally not productive. That's right, and and at times it actually is it's counterintuitive in terms of how SharePoint works. Right, mm -hmm. it's counterintuitive in terms of how its pipeline processes things. It's not what you would expect. So, where does HTML five fit into this equation? Ah, so this is, so, so this is where I say, yes. Now this, this is where developers and, and in fact, actually SharePoint can work together. So while I, while I do kind of, you know, admit that I, up until SharePoint 2010, I, I'd been, you know, pushing against using, you know, building custom, say, web parts. Now, admittedly, things get better in 2010 because you build them for the sandbox and, and then, you know, things are, are much better because those parts live within the sandbox. They live within a model of a certain amount of execution, a certain amount of processing um, points are awarded to them, a certain amount of memory, and they cannot exceed those amounts. So therefore, they can't interfere with your, your SharePoint environment as a whole. One bad component will not bring out, bring down the environment. Right. But where we bring things and productivity back now to developer perspective is, through things like HTML5, things like modern JavaScript techniques, because one of the things that SharePoint 2010 brings to the table is that all of its data is exposed through OData. So you can pretty much get, uh, you know, uh, consume and, um, you know, edit your, your good old CRUD, create, read, update, and delete data via REST APIs, via JavaScript, HTML5, and without ever actually having to open up and, and build a custom web part. That sounds like it answers the Matthias Carlson's question from Twitter on this show, which was, uh, can you do uh, HTML5 client only against SharePoint lists? And you're saying yes? Oh, yes, you can. Um, yes, you can. In fact, actually, here's a great example, although I wasn't involved in the architecture of building this. But if you go to the city of Calgary's website, calgary.ca, mm -hmm. that's um, that's mostly an HTML5-ish and SharePoint 2010 backend application. And it doesn't look anything like SharePoint, yet at the same time, it's getting all of its data from standard SharePoint lists. Wow, that's a good-looking site. And Except it really does not look – you would not know this is SharePoint. That's the problem with SharePoint, right? All SharePoint sites look like SharePoint. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. that well, reduces, you know. What, what's the party line? It reduces training of your people so that they can learn how to access a site one way. And they're, okay, you know, you can with, you know, it's a little bit painful, but you can skin a SharePoint site to make it look like just about anything if you know what you're doing. That's correct. 
Um, actually, there is only one thing I don't like about the uh, City of Calgary site, and that's um, a certain um, prior. Uh, who, who's powering the search engine? If you if you head to the site, you'll see. Uh, I wasn't going to look for that. Yes. Okay. So we'll we'll not talk about that. But the, I guess the most salient point here is HTML5 is a sturdy enough language, and SharePoint 2010 is now exposing things in a way that allows the two to work together. That's correct. SharePoint 2010 continues to actually bring along the web services that developers were familiar with in previous versions. But in addition to them, it adds things like the client-side object model via JavaScript, via Silverlight, via other technologies, and as well the OData REST-based data model. And, you know, you can take a combination of techniques, and now you don't actually have to go to compiled code to solve your problems within SharePoint. Nice. Now, the, the strength here, is it just because it's easier to develop, or is it a different skill set? I mean, I like this. I'm just trying to figure out why it's better than the compiled code solution. Well, um, now, his, I'll give you some history. Admittedly, you know, I've got the 20 years I've been fighting with technology for as long as you two. Um, and some history around that is that at times, and, and where organizations have had some bad experiences with SharePoint, is that they'll have components or even solutions built, and then they're built and they find that they're taking, you know, they're over time, they're over budget, and or they're not performing according to specifications. They're too slow. They're actually gobbling memory on the server and or processing power, and they're impacting every every other site or um, group within your organization's ability to use SharePoint. And what generally is the case has been in the past, I will say, you know, there's been code issues, right? Because potentially, you know, some of the best practices or patterns weren't understood. And so people chose an architecture, design and implementation that wasn't necessarily the right way to do it within the constraints of the SharePoint platform. And so now with 2010, one of the good things we do get, I admit, is the sandbox. Um, you know, so when you're in the sandbox, you can't actually adversely impact anybody else's components or sites. But where coming into play the HTML5 is it actually brings it into the hands of business, business analysts, power users, mm -hmm. which is one of those things that a lot of people don't actually get is that SharePoint actually truly is a productivity tool. Right. It's there to empower your end users. It's there to empower your business analysts and maybe let your developers work on the fun stuff, the low level stuff, the, the stuff that's actually uh, quite exciting rather than, Oh, I don't know, developing yet another workflow when mm -hmm. potentially your, your business analyst can do that in Visio and or SharePoint designer directly. Well, it's an old story. And, you know, frankly, that's one of the things that uh, Jacob Morgan was bringing up in his blog post is just basic knowing your tools. You know, know, know the strengths and weaknesses of what you're doing. And if, if it's going to be cheaper for you to buy a solution off the shelf, for example, then do so. That's correct. But you got to do that. Got to do that pre-work. And, and while I say don't build, say, web parts, right? Um, that's not necessarily true. If your organization has the delivery capacity, your team has the ability to do so, Build web parts, but not one-offs that solve one business problem. Build right. a web part that helps a, a larger across different groups within your organization. Yeah. Build components that are reusable. And then they become part of that platform and framework that you're actually now enabling your power users, your business analysts to build solutions because you've given them a suite of, a suite of components that they can glue together themselves. Basically, they can create their own quote, quote, mashup or composite application. Nice. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik, makers of Kendo UI. Are you a web or mobile developer who wants to build amazing sites and apps? Looking for the best tool out there that can really improve your development work? We've got the answer for you. Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. In the complete integrated package, you'll find a jQuery-based tool set that includes rich UI widgets, a powerful data source, dynamic data visualizations, and blazing fast micro-templates, all backed by industry-leading professional support. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash .net, that's D-O-T-N-E-T, -E to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 60-day trial with support. 
Also, Tablet Show number 19 was an interview with Todd Anglin on the Kendo UI. Richard and I talked to him at length about this great tool set. That's at thetabletshow.com, and look for show number 19 in the archives. And when you talk to the Telerik guys, make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. You know, I wonder if we're crossing up two different things here, too, because on one hand, you've got stuff like the City of Calgary site, which is clearly an outward-facing, it's just a sort of sophisticated website, versus when I think about power users and analysts and so forth, that's sort of an inward-facing, an internal site. That That is correct, and that's actually one of the other areas that um, that is challenging, and, and I can't say that there's any blame to be placed because SharePoint is a big product. It's both wide and deep, right? And Therefore, it has many different usage patterns. It can be used for your public-facing website scenario. It can be used for your internal portal, your intranet. Mm-hmm. It can be used for collaboration sites. Mm-hmm. It can be used for document and records management. It can be used for business intelligence and dashboarding. So now all of those things are in one package. But right. you actually have different usage paradigms when you are going to solve a different problem. And not all of the problems should be solved, say, with just a single web application or a single URL within SharePoint. Your organization actually should technically and, and generally look at actually carving those up into different usage sites and locations for their you know users to go to for different activities. You know, Jason, talking about mashups, what are some of the, the really great sites that you can embed content from or services that you can uh, utilize that are just out there that you can drop oh, into SharePoint? Wow out there. I mean, well, considering now that you've got public OData feeds from many, many different um, actually governments and or other, um, you know, governments at the city, regional or yeah. uh, provincial and federal level. So now you can do mashups with directly with OData data feeds. You can, of course, when you're working within HTML and JavaScript, you can pretty much pull in everything from many different locations. Of course, you still have to watch those cross-domain security requests and whatnot within your your HTML application. Um, but yeah, there, there's, and then at the same time, if you don't want to actually pull those things in through HTML, you can leverage um, SharePoint's business connectivity services to pull the data in at the back end and then expose that as, as lists, external lists, which you can then access through OData. Hmm. And you know, you just walked right into what I was thinking again, sort of calling back to this, this city of Calgary site that I, I could see using the front. I'm trying to justify why they're using SharePoint for a front facing site. And the thought I had was the lists of things that matter to a city that they want to expose to the public also have to be maintained internally. Correct. So, is, so that maybe you have an inward facing site for doing the maintenance of those lists and then an outward facing site for providing visibility to the public for that list. That, Do you make that is, is that one site with different pages, if you're depending on whether you're inside or outside, or is that two sites? And they so share actually, that data somehow. Mm. You typically the best practice is you actually have two uh, two sites, two servers or, or server farms. In that mm-hmm. case, you have one within your DMZ that's your public facing, and potentially maybe you lo- use that for extranet secured, you know, partners and and that sort of thing. Right. And then you have an internal farm which you can then publish internally to externally, and that's typically the best practice, the recommended way to do things, because then that way that keeps your internal process separate from the external content because in addition to say just say something that's within a list or a page that you're publishing the content itself well internally you're going to have workflow around that who's in charge of signing off on that who's Mm -hmm. in charge of approving it does it have to be reviewed by three or four people beforehand right so that's actually another feature that's very strong of course with sharepoint is the web content management in terms of that ability to publish small chunks of information and have a process related around that. This is SharePoint as a content management solution. That's correct. And that's actually what happened to Microsoft CMS. Of course, it was rolled into SharePoint. I, I kind of have a running joke. I say in the next five years, you won't be using Microsoft Office anymore. You'll be using Microsoft SharePoint document editing suite. <laughs> and you'll oh, be running goodness. that on the Microsoft SharePoint client platform. No, you're going to be using Bing Mail. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. You you know about the whole ad campaign that Microsoft is attacking Google now? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Have you heard about this? Yeah, so. Yes. I I, I actually, I couldn't make it through the last one. Um, I I did watch the (laughs) Gmail man, and I laughed, and it was funny. 
but I couldn't, I couldn't make it through the last one. It was just too cheesy, but admittedly, I'm, I'm not going to say whether I consider that too true or not. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. There's, yeah. there's bits and bites. There are definitely moments. There are moments. They're well made. I will have to say they're very well made. I mean, I, I quite like them. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting that, uh, I've seen a few campaigns over the years, uh, which I quite liked the, uh, Internet Explorer in private mode, uh, campaign. That was quite funny. <laughs> um, uh, and, and whatnot. And narrated by, I think that was Patrick Warburton. And, um, you know, but it's just a matter of whether, you know, we, we continue to see a trend or not or whether they're pulled because maybe they're too edgy. Maybe. Well, they'll get people talking about it in this business. That's what it's all about. Yeah. I'm trying to tie this Jacob Morgan blog post into our conversation here because Jacob makes this really great point about make sure you're using the right tool for the right purpose. But to hear you describe it, Jason, it's like this is a Swiss Army tool. You can do anything you want with it. How do people go wrong with SharePoint? Well... So, so that's where I say that, um, the problem to go wrong is, is that actually when you treat it more as a lockdown platform than a productivity tool, right? right. Um, and I think it's not developers that go wrong in terms of actually organizations understanding of the platform itself and what it can provide and when it should be providing an application, um, a service to their users, right? There, there's certain, for instance, if you have a, highly transactional design of you're doing, you know, data collection, lots and lots of data collection. You've got people typing something in all day. That's all they do. You're not going to build that application with SharePoint. You're going to use some sort of rich client paradigm, whether it's WPF, whether it's, um, whether it's Silverlight or something, because that's going to allow them to type at speed. It's going to allow them to jump from one field to another with ease, right? Um, without actually their fingers ever leaving the keyboard. That's not an application where you would expect your users to use the typical SharePoint form and list-based um, paradigm. Now, at the same time, though, it, all of that data has to go somewhere in the end. That doesn't necessarily have to go to its other back-end data, database system. It could be using SharePoint lists as a back-end, right? Or mm-hmm. alternatively, if that data is you know, data that can be, you know, mined, essentially, you're going to be performing business intelligence on that. Well, that's where you use and leverage SharePoint to actually expose your your reports, your dashboards, your business intelligence graphics, right? Because there are so many capabilities within it. We're talking things like performance point, we're talking visiographic services. Oh, my God, I've been, I've been dying for something like visiographic services for the last six years. And now it's here, right? As well as actually one of the most underused features and capabilities of um, SharePoint 2010 is access services, the ability to actually up, essentially upsize an access database so that it actually runs um, on SharePoint and its backend is actually SharePoint lists. It's not that you're actually storing the MDB in SharePoint. No, no. The backend ends up being SharePoint lists. So then you can reuse those and you can actually report on them or consume them from other SharePoint applications. You know, um, uh, Jacob Morgan brings up this uh, product called NewsGator. Do you know about NewsGator? Yes, I have. It's actually a very e- excellent integration product and a, uh, one of the one of the top stories about best practices for integration with SharePoint. So, so tell tell me about it. So NewsGator, well, of course, is a, a um, basically social collaboration platform, and of course, it it evolved from the good old days of the um, Usenet newsgroups, which I think actually was um, where I first encountered you, Carl, um, yep. back in about 1995 or 94. Carl and, and Gary's so, days. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so from there, it's evolved. Uh, first, initially, it had some hooks in with Outlook. And now it's involved in, evolved into a full platform that ties into SharePoint to allow you to both participate in, in social, you know, news as well as, as well as assist your company in tracking of how your company is being, you know, tracked within the social media space. It's a, um, it's one of those products that, um, I'd love to actually work more with. I've only worked with it one time in the last three years, but, um, it's quite impressive. And that again is exactly where I'm saying is that you pick your tools right. in terms of as, as back to the blog article, not I'm saying, but um, so as Jacob was saying, you have to pick your tools. And with SharePoint, admittedly, be, the confusing thing at times is because it's built on the .NET framework and runtime. It's built using the standard, you know, Microsoft tools and techniques is that that may ex- expect to be the first choice. 
but that may not be the right tool to use for the job because let's talk workflow, right? If you're a tr traditional developer, the first thing you're going to do when you build a workflow is open up Visual Studio. That's the last thing you want to do in SharePoint. You want to actually build your workflow using old Visio or SharePoint Designer. Huh. Yes, I know it's not as pretty. It's not as nice as the one in Visual Studio. But at the same time, it's what the power users and end users have available to them. Now, if you need to do something that's more complex than what you can do using SharePoint Designer or um, Visio, then what you do is you build custom workflow actions or activities or conditions. That's where you leverage your development time. You build that, build those custom extensions or hooks into other system as reusable components that then become actually exposed in the SharePoint designer workflow palette of tools and, and actions available. And now your power users and your business analysts can actually build things. You've empowered them. You've given them more tools to do their job faster and more effectively. Hey, Richard, guess what time it is? Must be that happy time again. It's time to give away some tools. I like it. So if you don't know what we're talking about, this is uh, where in the show we give away, in this case, a Telerik Ultimate Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And uh, we do this in every show. And if you want to win, you can go to .NET Rocks.com slash fanpage.aspx or go to .NET Rocks.com and click on the big red Get Free Stuff button. It's not red, but, you know, it's big and in your face, and you can't miss it in the upper right-hand corner. So who's our winner today? Our winner today is uh, from your country, Richard, and Ooh. yours, Jason. It's Mike Hat, and I'm serious. Like, when he gets pages, has anybody seen Mike Hat? Uh, no, I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he's from Eastern Passage, Nova Scotia. So, oh, okay. Mike... Congratulations, Congratulations, Mike. Congratulations. And of course, Mr. SharePoint guy here says, yes, Telerik controls work wonderfully in SharePoint. Ah, yeah. Have you started playing with Kendo? A little bit. Just the last two weeks, actually. I'm really blown away by Kendo. Yeah. Kendo's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm thinking of making it, uh, well, making a, a focus of a presentation in the next couple months. So nice. All right. Let's get back on track again. Yeah. One of the challenges I think folks have around SharePoint when you come at it from the development perspective is things like source code management. So what do you say? How do you take care of your projects in SharePoint? So, um, well, uh, number one, um, uh, the generally the easiest uh, mechanism is something that does tie into Visual Studio. So, of course, the party line might be Team Foundation Server, but... As long as you have a source code management system that ties in quite well with all of the, all of the artifacts that actually get created from a SharePoint project within Visual Studio. So of course, there's more than just your, your code files, your code behind, and of course, your, your display and your front end. But there's also things like package and feature files and mm -hmm. other elements and XML. So whatever source code provider that you're using has to actually be able to actually take everything that's part of a SharePoint solution. I actually don't think that source code control is the biggest challenge. Where I think the biggest challenge is doing test-driven development. Um, because SharePoint, of course, is, is a fairly complex platform. There is so much that you would have to mock out first um, before you could actually get a, you know, a good set of test suites running. And, it, you know, that's where it's challenging. Now, there are some answers to that. So Microsoft actually has released some patterns and practices guidance for SharePoint 2010. And they've even released some code framework and samples for doing test-driven development with SharePoint 2010 and Visual Studio 2010. And before you respond to that, I just got a tweet. His name is Mike Hatfield. But in his email, he said Mike Hat. So <laughs> okay. my cat has been found. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Sorry. Congratulations, Mike. So okay. that's the, me. Uh, I'm the show derailer. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> good on, good on you there, buddy. Because I, I do think this is an interesting challenge. Just the ability to, well, you know what my real goal is: is can I roll back? That we do a bunch of updates to a SharePoint site, we push it up, we decide there's a problem, trying to get back. That to me is sort of the proof of a uh, of a a source management or deployment management solution that is really robust that we can get back? I will say yes and no. So number one, 
um, assuming that you are using the valid mechanisms to deploy your solution into SharePoint, which are features and WSPs or, or SharePoint solution packages, right? And you are doing things like versioning your assemblies whenever you compile them to a new version. You're versioning your features. And then you can actually use SharePoint when you actually, you know, deploy your solution. You can actually upgrade or you can fall back. Nice. Now, I will say that's for the code. That's for the design elements. But what happens if your solution requires on chain, relies on changes to your data, your lists, your libraries, that sort of thing? At that point, you would actually need to probably introduce some custom code using essentially what we call feature receivers. Whenever a feature is activated or deactivated, then of course it would have to deactivate and remove potentially your changes and or data that's changed. And I will say there is one other quote, quote, best practice in terms of working with SharePoint development. And that's, of course, is that you don't add your columns, your new columns to say the lists or libraries directly. You add them to content types. And essentially, think about a content type the same way as we used to think about in the old school of a com interface. You should treat yeah. it as additive only. You shouldn't remove things from a content type. If it changes too much, you should actually introduce a brand new content type. Makes sense. And yeah. and basically break the line between those things that they Correct. recognize they're different. Correct. Okay. And you know, and that that'll help that'll help in terms of making it, you know, giving you the ability to actually roll things backwards in time as well. Well, I mean, hopefully we never need to roll back, but I just I think it's one of the great measures that you're, you know, actually own your source in a useful way that you can go forward and backward. That's that's correct. And the other thing I think that as well, when it comes term down to, let's say you're using lists that are not, let's say, exposed perhaps to the user, but you're using them for your own data to keep your application running. Well, one of the other, you know, tips and tricks in the SharePoint world is, of course, to enable versioning on those lists so that you at least can actually fall back to different versions if uh, you have a problem during an upgrade or that sort of thing. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. All right. What else? Scalability? Oh, SharePoint's wonderfully scalable. Um, but of course, and this is where I get into, you know, the, Except when the it isn't. Uh, no soup for you developers. <laughs> right. Um, is that um, you, you do have to, of course, plan for, say, if you are going to develop that web part or that front end component, that it could very well be living in a farm that's load balanced. You, there's no guarantee that you know, necessarily you could actually have one request go from one server to another. Now, I will say there's no guarantee, but typically most organizations do set up stateful sessions with uh, SharePoint because it's it's just easier. But you don't necessarily have to. You could actually you set up a completely stateless kind of um, farm if you wanted to. Um, so you've got to be, you know, SharePoint will scale out. You can You can have your solution across, you know, a dozen different front end servers. Um, at the same time, it'll scale up if you have the resources to scale up. But just because your solution is scaled out across many different services, uh, servers, pardon me, if it has issues, it will have issues, of course, on all of those servers. Um, example I, I like to give for that is in the SharePoint 2007 world, we actually had a, um, uh, an intranet portal that was launching. I can't say who it was for or, or even give any hints, but Actually, it was so beautiful because, in, in fact, every single control was customized. You couldn't even tell it was SharePoint. It didn't look anything like SharePoint whatsoever. Unfortunately, every control was also leaking memory. Ah, nice. So that, that environment was leaking approximately 4 gig of memory per minute per server. Ouch. They had eight web front-end servers, each with 32 gig of RAM, and the homepage was taking 90 seconds to respond under load. Well, that, that's wow. not quite usable, right? And so, of course, once we jump into that, we start finding out, well, oh, there's memory leaks. Um, oh, oops, the patterns of disposal for SharePoint 
objects weren't being followed. So there are plenty of, you know, there's a white paper on MSDN that talk about um, proper techniques for disposing and using SharePoint objects. And then there's actually even tools that you can download, uh, something called SP Dispose Check, um, done by Microsoft and a fellow named Roger Lamb, who's has an excellent blog on the subject as well. And those actually should become part of your development and build process. Basically, don't release any code into your test or, or production environments until actually you've run your SP dispose check on, on that code base. What, uh, what about Azure? Uh, you see a lot about uh, uh, SharePoint and Azure better together, you know, out there. What's the, what's the story with Azure? And one of the reasons, one of the things I want to bring up is, first of all, does it run? And second of all, is the, is the uptime service level agreement for Azure adequate for most corporations? Well, so I have to admit, you see, I've spent my time, you know, being a, being a guy who was once a day to day developer and now unfortunately, you know, doesn't actually, isn't allowed to cut as much code looking more at the Office 365 end of things. Mm. So basically where you actually technically don't have very much control in your of your platform for SharePoint at all. However, I have worked with um, Windows Azure, and I am actually currently building out a SharePoint environment within Azure. Um, I have not yet investigated the uh, SLAs. I, I will be honest, a lot of my clients, um, my big corporation clients within Canada, are kind of skittish about the cloud, at least the cloud, if it's not guaranteed to be in Canada, cloud. Yeah, right? that seems to be a big concern uh, just right. because of so, liabilities. So they're prototyping within it now. They're testing the waters. So for the, for testing the waters, generally availability is not so much of a concern. But longer term, then they're going to have to obviously, it'll be, of course, the standard game of uh, who has the better lawyer team. Um, <laughs> right. I'm sure there's many different levels of SLAs you can get with the right agreements in place. Yeah, we uh, did a little. Um, we did a talk at uh, Connections about about the cloud and about service level agreements. And you know, back in the early 2000s, it was all about five nines of reliability. You know, Microsoft was touting its server align as having that level of availability, and that's just not. You know, when you throw the internet into the equation, you just can't have that kind of reliability. That is correct. I think, however, though, we're we're getting into the days of um, of because you know things have actually become less homogenous, and, and there's a myriad of platforms, devices, and services, both internal and external, and hybrid and cloud, hybrid on-site, hybrid off-site solutions that. One of the things that I, I think is happening in today's workplaces and corporate environments is that you're not necessarily blocked from doing your, your job if, if one particular thing goes down. There's many avenues that you can continue to do your day to day tasks, right? Um, admittedly, I think if, you know, if you had every last service in the cloud and you had no internet connectivity, well, of course, then yes, you would be blocked. But if you have a hybrid model and you're using a variety of devices and or techniques, I think that generally you're, you can be insulated to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm, um, I'm quite excited because where I'm excited about is hybrid models. I think that I see where you have the combination of your, your internal environments, and typically most organizations in Canada like to keep those running on their own, you know, their own uh, maintained infrastructure or working closely with a partner within Canada. Mm. But where I see cloud and, and things like Azure and Office 365 taking off is in scenarios where, for instance, it could be, oh, I don't know, an extranet scenario. And now you have partners coming in and you want to federate with those partners. Then in, in some organizations, they would actually take a look at that and say, well, that's actually le less risky than if we were to build out an extranet ourselves and make a mistake. Yeah. Right? And so that's where you can actually get some really good business value out of, out of a hybrid solution. And for instance, here's another example, right? Um, you know, you take something like Office 365 SharePoint and maybe you're not going to use it for, say, some of your collaborative, um, you know, things because there are some limitations on how to get data in and out of Office 365 SharePoint. But why not use it for your public-facing sites and simply publish your content into it that way? Now you don't actually ho have to host a server farm within your DMZ. Yeah. So 
Well, and this sort of brings up this whole, I've, I've had this conversation with companies before where they realize that they can't deliver uptime internally as good as what the cloud can deliver. That is, you've hit, you've hit a nail on the head because as much as I like to see generally, you know, everybody says, oh, yes, yes, we have top notch, you know, uptime, you know, five nines. Um, in reality, uh, I've never seen, you know, Microsoft's cloud really go down yet. Um, and even any other clouds that have gone down, I've seen longer delays and, and problems within organizations when they've had some major issues um, that, you know, unfortunately had not been spotted early on. And then over time, they snowballed until the point of, oh, this is actually a disaster that's occurring. And, you know, oops, actually, it looks like we'll be down for a week. Well, that, you know, yeah. that's just not good enough. And when it comes to SharePoint in the cloud, it's just a reality now. I can buy it from Microsoft that way or other providers. That's correct. Um, you can buy it. You know, Microsoft has uh, Office 365 SharePoint, which you can, mm -hmm. you can buy. But at the same time, you could as well, if you choose to, build a SharePoint environment within Azure, within the cloud. There are some actual benefits to doing it that way. On the other hand, though, it actually may end up a little more costly than the Office 365 model. Um, just simply because of the way the, the cycles and, and, um, and what not work in terms SharePoint's a very active kind of server, you know, that right. You, so if you're paying by the byte that, you know, that gets price that can be pricey. That's correct. As opposed to SharePoint online, which is the office 365, which is a flat rate per month. That's, that's correct. You don't pay for data in and out of, of, um, of, uh, SharePoint online. As far as I know, I, I could be wrong, but there's no model in terms of, you know, paying for bytes going in and out and for paying for, say, compute cycles, memory cycles, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just a different way of pricing it. But what about feature wise compared, you know, can you compare the difference between running your own SharePoint server, running it in 365 or running it in Azure? So that's actually, there's the reason, right? So when you're running within 365, there's um, an uh, SharePoint online, there's uh, quite a few in terms of the limitations. So for mm -hmm. instance, um, out of the, out of the box web parts that attempt to go and get, say, an XML RSS feed from some other site. Right. Are blocked. You, you can't oh. use those. Um, you have to actually pull that data back in via JavaScript and, and, and scripting in HTML. Um, you have, they have recently in, in November, um, um, allowed, uh, SharePoint online to use business connectivity services but only against web services. So you can't go directly against a, say, SQL Azure database. So you have to actually build a web service proxy in front of that and then use, uh, you know, BCS business connectivity services in SharePoint Online to go against that. Mm -hmm. um, now, the next stage would be when you get into, say, doing your own SharePoint environment within Azure. Well, then you have the full capabilities of the platform. But of course, you know, if you are integrating data from the outside world or even from your organization into Azure, then you're going to have to pay for that data being piped in and out as you need it. What, where you may actually use some sort of hybrid approach is you have an internal environment, potentially, mm -hmm. and then you maybe have actually a full-blown environment in Azure that actually, you know, feeds data in through BCS and um, business connectivity services fully back and forth between your organization. And then potentially you use the publishing features to publish into your Office 365 SharePoint online. Yeah, you know, I was thinking exactly that. Did you want the public-facing site to be running in Office 365 and your internal site could run in Azure because you have more control over who's using it and how much they're using it, but you still get that reliability out of Azure. Exactly. Uh, and the flexibility in Azure. And but your public facing stuff in Office 365 now it can scale. It can take the big load. You know you have no surprises. Somebody else is responsible for keeping it alive. Like that seems like a pretty good combination. Oh, um, well, uh, for for myself, let's say as a small business, and for many small to medium sized business, it's a no brainer. I mean, it's far more cost effective to have somebody else managing a service. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm an old school geek. At one point, I used to have racks of servers in my house. Um, well, then I also had to pay for the electricity for all those racks of servers. And right. also hear about my wife complaining about the noise from the, the fans <laughs> for those servers, right? Jay, and, I don't uh, know anybody like that. Who would do that? Would do Nobody that. would do that. No, no. It, it makes a, It's a nice calming white noise effect. I mean, what's the problem? Uh, <laughs> you get poked in the middle of the night by your wife. She's like, go fix the fan. 
(laughs) (laughs) Why is it beeping? Exactly. So these days I try and do things with, um, you know, internally, let's say for my small businesses, embedded devices where possible, laptops and portable devices. And personally, my small business, everything is in the cloud. Awesome. Well, okay. Uh, I think that's a show. I think that's a show. So, Jason, what's next for you? Are you going to be speaking anywhere soon? Uh, well, actually, to, uh, well, I can't say tonight because this will air later. Uh, yeah. I guess so how was that? How'd it go? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so actually, I will be speaking at the Prairie Developer IT Pro Conference in uh, Calgary, Alberta, yep. um, from March, um, thir- March 13th to 15th, as well so as... Yeah, just a couple of weeks away That's as right. well. I'll actually be working in facilities immediately prior to the Prairie DevCon. Awesome. Nice. Well, that's great. Nice. Well, that's great. Well, we'll see you there. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. And thanks for talking to us, Jason. Jason Couture. <laughs> Thank you, and thanks for remembering. Uh, of course I did. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember... Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.